0: Over the last few weeks we've um, studied this passage And we just pick up from verse 11 Before that it's just this wonderful security That David wrote about being known by God That's Psalm 139 If I say surely the darkness will hide me Even the darkness will not be dark to you The night will shine like the day For darkness is as light to you How precious to me are your thoughts God How vast is the sum of them Were I to count them They would outnumber the grains of sand When I awake I am still with you If only God you would slay the wicked Away from me you who are bloodthirsty They speak of you with evil intent Your adversaries misuse your name Do I not hate those who hate you Lord And abhor those who are in rebellion against you I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.
1: Well as we open our Bibles this morning, we remember that the Bible is a wonderfully positive book that God is a gloriously good Father, that prayer is an amazingly powerful privilege. But it doesn't always seem like that. What happens when you pray something that seems to be good and right, earnestly, sincerely, confidently, repeatedly, And then repeatedly again, and nothing happens. There doesn't seem to be anybody there. It's a dark time. I want you to look with me at Psalm 139. Please have the the Bible open in front of you. It's a prayer of King David. And we've already seen in the previous Sunday mornings, the earlier part of this psalm. That's why we haven't been dealing with that this morning. We've seen something about the intimacy of prayer right at the beginning, this wonderful statement, you know me. Then last week we saw something about the joy of God's presence, that God is everywhere. But now, if you look down to verse 19, you'll see that the psalm takes a rather different turn. Because now, David is picking up on the subject that he's really been leading up to all the time. This is what his prayer is about. The rest of it has been a very helpful introduction. Now he's saying, if only God, you would do something. And you haven't. His prayers have been unanswered. So we're going to ask this morning, can we find any light in our dark times through looking at this psalm? We're going to look at it in four steps from verse 13 onwards. And the first step is we've got to start with God. That's obviously the best place to start. Then... We've got to look at this fact that we are sometimes puzzled by this very God that we're praying to. Then it becomes rather difficult because the third thing we've got to see here is that we may need to look at ourselves. And what's that going to be about? But I want to end on the best Note of all, because we will find when we get to the end of the psalm that there is a way out even of those dark times. Briefly then, let's look back at what we've already seen in this psalm that we should start with God. He's the way into this whole problem. That's got to be the best way to start with anything that we have as a problem. And what this psalm's already been opening up to us is the fact that God is perfect. That the God that we come to is the God who knows everything about us. His knowledge is absolutely perfect. In verses 9 to 10, we see... All about the fact that He is everywhere. If you go to the wings of the dawn, if you settle on the far side of the sea, God is everywhere. Even in times of darkness, it's not a problem to Him. He's the God who is light. Verses 13 to 16 I would love to be able to look at on another occasion because there's some very helpful things there about our creation and our personality as God's creatures. But particularly what the psalmist is saying here is that uh, God knows everything about us. His knowledge of us is so perfect and we see that every detail of our lives, verse 16, every detail of our life ordained is written in his book. So nothing surprises God. A lot of things surprise us, but nothing surprises this perfect God. But I want you to look down to verses 17 and 18, because here's something which we're going to pick up on later. That God's thinking about us, How precious are to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. This isn't just a passing thought. The psalmist says here, God's thinking about me all the time. If I had to count up how many times he thinks about me, I wouldn't be able to. God is thinking about me all the time. Now here's the point. The God that we pray to is this perfect God. He knows everything about us. He is everywhere. He can do everything. And he's thinking about me all the time. That's fundamental to our Christian relationship with our Father. But we have to move on, don't we? That we're sometimes puzzled By this God and our relationship with Him. It's a bit like being a man in a maze. We don't know which way to turn because whichever way we turn we seem to come up against a blockage. Now let's not misunderstand it. We are right to turn to God in our troubles. To begin with God, is important we're right to turn to him in our troubles. And David is in real trouble. If you start looking at verse 19, he's praying about these wicked men. These who are God's enemies. They're bloodthirsty men. They're the adversaries of God. And he said, it's not merely that they're against me, Lord. They're against you as well. This is something which David experienced on more than one occasion. If you were to look back in your Bible to 1 and 2, Samuel, you'll remember he had terrible troubles with the king before David became king, King Saul. And then when he did become king, there was that awful rebellion by his own son, Absalom. David knew what he was talking about. He'd been in trouble and no wonder he prayed. And he should have prayed. And we're in trouble We should pray as well. And we can expect God to answer us. Here's another verse from the psalm. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. So here we have a perfect God. We are praying to him. And he says, if you come to me and pray to me in trouble, I will deliver you. But he hasn't done it. No wonder. It's a puzzle. We can't understand why God doesn't answer us. Look carefully at verse 19, because the language he uses shows us his problem. If only God, you would do something. Now you only say that to somebody when they haven't done it. If only you would do it. But he hasn't. And that's why David finds this such a problem. If he is such a good, powerful, thinking, loving, kind, powerful, just God, and he knows how to answer me, and he doesn't, why is this not happening? I wonder if there are some examples in our experience when we've been feeling like that there are good Christian people who sincerely say Lord I'm single and I, I would really love to be married marriage is something which God has ordained for the good of his people and I'm looking for someone to be my life's partner and they go on praying and they go on praying and it doesn't happen There are people, lovely Christian couples, perhaps you know some, who have been asking God to give them a family. They believe this is one of the blessings of being a child of God, that he gives families to us. They see other children being born, and so they pray, and they do all the right things, as well as praying. And God doesn't seem to answer them. Here's another example, of course. <laughs> Serious illness. When anybody is sick, we pray for them, don't we? And we pray for them to be healed. And we pray when they go to a hospital that they will have a good diagnosis and they'll have good treatment and they come back feeling better. But it doesn't always happen, does it? And when we've prayed to the God who is able to do anything and he does nothing, we find this very difficult to cope with. Some of you go to work on a Monday morning and cheerfully enjoy the company of the people we work with. Others go to work on a Monday morning dreading that troublemaker that they've had to put up with for ages. And they've said to God, Lord, I shouldn't have to put up with this every week. Surely he could be moved on or she could be promoted or I could go to another department. And there must be some answer to this. And you pray and you pray and every Sunday, every Monday morning you go back to work and they're still there. God doesn't seem to have answered. Now we've rejoiced this morning that Tenebu is here, but for weeks we were praying, weren't we? Why can't he have his visa now? It's surely the right thing that God should give missionaries and his servants the opportunity to come and fulfil God's purpose for them, and you go on praying, and it doesn't happen. What David is facing in this psalm is not an Old Testament problem. It's a today problem. It's a problem that we find difficult. Now let's say this before we get any Not all prayer is asking prayer. There is prayer that is worship for the glory of the God that he is. There is prayer that is praise prayer for his character and being. For the Holy Trinity. There is thanksgiving prayer. There is prayer that says, Lord, I've seen what you've done and I'm grateful. But there is also asking prayer. And Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. So it's a real problem when it doesn't happen. So I want to move on to the third point in this psalm. And that is we may need to look at ourselves now this is a genuine question it's the contribution that this psalm makes to the much bigger problem about unanswered prayer if we were talking and praying, preaching rather about unanswered prayer we would have a lot of other things to do in other parts of the bible but we're looking just at this psalm and what does this psalm say about answered prayer Well, you've got to look at verses 23 and 24 because instead of looking to God and instead of questioning God's ways, David says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Could it be my fault that God isn't answering, David says? Now take care. Be very clear about this. Not all answered prayer is our fault. Sometimes God isn't answering because he knows better than we do. And he's saying, no, that wouldn't be good for you. Sometimes God isn't saying no, he's saying not yet. He's saying you've got to wait as we waited for Tenebu and now God's answered that prayer. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is I'm going to test your faith and your patience. But sometimes... It can be our fault. How can I be sure of that? Well, there's a New Testament example. You needn't bother to look it up. But in James chapter 4 and verse 3, I'll read it to you. This is what the Bible says. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Do you know what the prosperity gospel is? It's the idea that um, if you're a Christian, you should ask God and he'll give you everything you want. James says, hold on. God isn't going to answer all those prayers. Because some people only pray those things for selfish reasons. So that prayer is not answered, not because God can't do it, but because the reason is in the person praying so here's the question how will I know in my circumstances how will I know if it's my fault well the psalm is clear we must ask God to examine us verse 23 search me test me see if there be any wicked ways in me He says, I want you to look at my heart, not just my words, but why am I doing this? I want you to look at my thoughts. What am I thinking about in asking this? I want you to look at my ways. What am I doing in this situation? But there is a problem for us. I want you to look at verse 24, at this word, offensive. I'm a child of God. He loves me unconditionally. He's done all these wonderful things to me. How can what I'm doing be offensive to God? Well, the Hebrew word is a very interesting one. The Hebrew word ozeph means causing grief or pain. It's actually the word used in the book of Genesis for pain in childbirth something that hurts so here David is saying see if there's something in me that is causing God grief or pain now that reminds us of something the New Testament talks about isn't it the New Testament talks about our grieving the Holy Spirit the sin of the Christian doesn't mean that he rejects us as being his children when we do things wrong bad, evil, offensive it doesn't mean that he says you're not my child anymore but it does mean that if we're grieving his Holy Spirit he may withhold blessings joy, encouragement answers to prayer from us what we have done can be the reason why our prayers are not being answered? So the big question is: How do we know? What can we do about this? We've got to examine ourselves. New New, New Testament twice tells Christians: "Examine yourselves." How are we going to do that? Well. I want to suggest a few things. We could start with the Ten Commandments, couldn't we? God tells us the way in which we ought to live. And we should go through the Ten Commandments, quietly, reverently, thoughtfully, prayerfully, and say, have I done this? And not not forgetting that, that Jesus says, if you think something that's against this commandment, that's as bad as if you commit murder. It's thoughts, as well as what we've done. Or there's the other possibility. A wonderful statement in the New Testament about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and so on. We could use that as a basis to examine ourselves. We could be saying, Is my life showing that fruit that God, by his Spirit, will create in me? Do I match up to what God wants me to be? Then, the New Testament has lots of examples. I've just given one here, Colossians chapter 3, where the Bible tells us the things that Christians should not do, and the things that Christians should do. And we should go through that carefully, prayerfully, and say, Am I measuring up to this? And we should be asking God to search us using his word. Now this is a very personal thing. And so I want you to allow me to do something this morning that I don't do a lot when I'm preaching. And that's to talk about myself. It's not a good thing for preachers to talk about themselves, but I want to give you a couple of texts which I've found helpful for self-examination. If you want to turn them up in your Bible, the first one is Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37 and 38. This is what it says. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me now many of you here know Jacqueline and myself you know we've been married for a long time and we have a very loving family if you want the numbers we've got three children we've got Seven grandchildren, we've got three great-grandchildren And they're so good to us And so kind to us And with technology nowadays Almost every week we get further pictures Of our great-grandchildren In the next stage of what they're doing And they're moving pictures You've seen these kind of things Some of you have got them on your own phones To show other people My family mean an enormous amount to me But here the text is saying to me I've got to ask myself, do I love them more than I love Jesus? If I love them more than I love Jesus, that's not worthy of my being a Christian. And so the more our family grows and is kind to us, the more we have to search our heart and say, which comes first and best in my attention another scripture in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 the apostle Paul writes about his own life and he says I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord I have had a lifetime of Christian ministry I've worked as a pastor I've worked in church relationships I've been a preacher of God's word I've travelled to many parts and this was a richly rewarding and fulfilling way of serving Jesus but you know the more involved you are in serving Jesus, the more danger it is that the service is more important than the Lord. Do I really count it a loss except to serve and love Jesus first? Now those are just a couple of examples that that, that I've had to face up to. If you're serious about this matter if you really are interested in making sure that your unanswered prayers are not your own fault, we've got to do some serious self-examination. You can't do this in five minutes. You can't do this without giving time to it. You've got to get your Bible out. You've got to think. You've got to pray, Lord, search me. But... There is light, even in those dark times. I want you to look now at verse 24. Because here is what is really the key to this whole question of unanswered prayer. In Psalm 139 and verse 24, let me go back to it, I've turned the page over. He says, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What he's saying is we need to look beyond this life to eternity. The word everlasting here doesn't just mean elastic time going on forever it's the ordinary Old Testament word for eternity from everlasting to everlasting you are God he's saying in the midst of these confused and dark times look beyond what you can see to how it will appear in eternity how will it look when I get to heaven Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a great deal about heaven, but it tells us some very good things. It says we should know then what we don't know now. So we should know why God sometimes said no. Why God sometimes said wait. And we shall then understand why sometimes God said nothing. We will then, so he says, think about the way everlasting. Here's a New Testament text. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, when we look at how The godless people prosper. They seem to be getting away with it. But what will be their end be? When we see things that are confusing now, we have to say, how will it look when in heaven I look back and see what God was doing with me? But there's one more thing to say. And that is that Jesus is the way to find this everlasting way lead me in the way everlasting do you remember what Jesus said when his disciples said we can't know the way Jesus said I am the way it's not what is the way but who is the way Jesus is the way everlasting you see If God's searching and our self-examination leads us to see it's my fault, that may seem to be even darker for me than before. But Jesus is the one who has paid for my sin. He's the one who has answered all my problems. He's the one who has paid the penalty I deserve. If I confess my sin, He will forgive me my sin, even the faults which have been preventing his answering my prayers. Jesus is the way everlasting. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question this morning, and you know, all the other things we've been looking at. Do you really know Jesus is the way everlasting? Do you know he's the one that's dealt with your sin? Do you know that he's the one who answers your prayer? Do you need the one who can answer even time in the times when you don't understand it? Jesus is the way everlasting and we can come to God through him. No other way, he says. Come to God through him. Well, we must close. Prayer isn't always easy. I'm not pretending it is. Some prayers don't seem to be answered. It's a real puzzle and a dark time. Sadly, I know people who for years have been blaming God for not answering their prayers years ago. There is no need for us to be in that dark place because there is a way to eternal confidence and there is a way that finds its focus in the Lord Jesus himself. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God give us grace to do so.